0: covering all aspects of milwaukee brewers baseball it's time for brewers extra innings the podcast here is your host matt Pauley.
1: we do welcome you into another edition of brewers extra innings the podcast powered by wtmj mobile my name is matt Pauley. great to have you with us today as uh, we've got a big program coming up a couple uh, featured guests that we will have we'll tell you about those in just a moment and a few other things to get to over the course of the program as well first and foremost we'll do the housekeeping items that we always take care of at the front of the program if you do listen to the podcast via apple podcast and you want to leave a ranking and review that would be great it helps us uh, move up the charts and the list and more people find us and uh, that's always the goal of this podcast to uh we hope we do a good job on it, and we hope that uh, more people get to listen to it on an every week basis. So, If you can do that, that's uh, great. If you don't listen to us on Apple Podcasts or you don't want to take a couple minutes to do it, I'm not mad at you, but if you uh, do want to take that uh, time to do that, that's uh, that's fantastic. Second, if you want to get in contact with me, multiple ways to do so. Easiest way is on Twitter. You can tweet at me, at Matt Pawley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. Or you can always uh, drop me an email if you would like, matt.pauly at wtmj.com. Here's what we've got coming up on the program this week. We have a first-time guest. We don't get first-time guests very often As uh, at this point. We're 71 episodes into Brewers Extra Names, the podcast. So at this point, a lot of our guests are folks that uh, you're pretty familiar and comfortable with. We do have a a new guest this week during the social media conversation as we're very happy to uh, welcome on a guy who has been a uh, sports media professional in the Milwaukee area for quite some time and recently just started doing some writing over at uh, Reviewing the Brew. Tom Kurtz is going to join us coming up uh, in our social media conversation and then we're going to get an inside look at the AA Biloxi Shuckers when Garrett Green, their broadcaster, joins us coming up later on in the program as well and that's a team that is stacked with prospects. I mean, it just seems like every top 30 prospect in the organization plays for Biloxi, and also at the team that won the first-half championship. So we're going to get into that with uh, Garrett coming up in just a little bit. It's funny right now about the Brewers. They're the best team in the National League from a record standpoint. They are 45-32. and 32. They are a half game better than the Atlanta Braves for the best record in the National League yet it is also a very flawed baseball team. And I think you can say that about most teams in the National League. To me, and maybe I've said this on the podcast, I don't know, to me there's only a couple, two, three elite teams in baseball, and they're all in the American League. I think the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Astros are clearly the three best teams in baseball. And then I think you start looking at the National League clubs after that. That's not to say that the National League doesn't have a chance to win the World Series. You know, teams get better. I'm, I'm not. I'm not trying sitting here trying to trash on the National League. I just think right now, the top of the American League is better than the top of the National League. The Brewers are the best of the National League from a record standpoint. The Brewers are the best team in the National League. Yet we continue to talk about a team kind of in a negative sense and not so much me i i try to be very positive and i try to be i try to keep in mind all the time that yeah the brewers have one heck of a record and they're playing pretty darn well even when you can get frustrated about some things so when i say we i guess i say we in the collective sense of uh, a lot of the times i judge where brewers fans are uh, based off the phone calls and the text messages and the tweets that I get during the course of uh, the post-game show that I host on WTMJ, and also just the general gist of things via social media. And I see a lot more negative, and I hear a lot more negative than positive. And it, it gets a little nitpicky at times. But all that being said, there's also it's a flawed baseball team, so there's some things going on with it that you'd like to see get better. Right now, this is a team that is as offensively inconsistent as you would ever say. It's amazing that they continue to sit with the best record in the National League, considering how inconsistent their offense is. Since June 15th, and we are recording this early, early, early on the morning of Monday, June 25th. So over the course of the last 10 days, they have games where they've scored 13, 9, and 11 runs. They also have games where they've scored one, none, and then back-to-back-to-back games against St. Louis where they score two runs. They win one of them, but they lose the last two where they score the two runs very early in the game and then can't score again after that. It's a club that still needs to find some offensive consistency. We know they have the ability to score runs when everything's clicking for them, but it just seems like there are too many days where it doesn't quite click. Now Sunday, you can look at the fact that Lorenzo Cain wasn't in the lineup. Travis Shaw got pulled out of the game early. He's dealing with a wrist injury, plus going back even before that. uh, His wrist hasn't been 100%, and you wonder how much that's been affecting him. Uh, Jesus Aguilar got a day off on Sunday as well, a much-needed day off, according to manager Craig Counts, who talked about he's a a big guy. He's going to need some days off. That's just the way he is, and he hasn't really played a full major league schedule at any point in his time, so uh, it's something that he's going through. He's going to need some rest every now and then, no matter how much he continues to produce. Looking for some offensive consistency, and a lot of it has to do with the The bottom part of the order, look, it's really simple. When the Brewers are scoring runs, here's what's happening. The top guys at the top of the order, Kane and Yellich, are getting aboard. And then the middle guys, Aguilar and Shaw and some other guys, but Aguilar and Shaw, are driving them in. There's a reason Kane and Yelich have scored a ton of runs. There's a reason that and Aguilar have driven in a ton of runs. And the formula right there doesn't really include the bottom third of the order. Because right now you're just not getting a lot from the bottom third of the order. Offensively, you're not getting a lot right now from the catcher spot. Offensively, you're not getting a lot right now from the shortstop spot. And obviously, you know, the pitcher bats ninth. I don't know what the answer is. You can go out and try to acquire some talent that can be more consistent offensively, but that's sometimes easier said than done. You can hope that those guys round into form that Manny Pena and that Orlando Arcia turn back into the guys that they were, uh, that they looked like last year. Yeah, you know, I always talk about track record, and we'll talk about this with Tom Kurtz coming up uh, later on the program. Those guys don't really have a track record, so is it fair to expect them to look the way they looked last year? I, I don't know if it is. In fact, I don't think it totally is. Uh, if they if If it's something that they've been doing for a long time over the course of the career, that's one thing. But you're talking about guys who did it over the course of one season. So maybe it is a, a spot where we see David Stearns go out and acquire a veteran middle infielder. And with all due respect to a Brad Miller who was just brought up, somebody who's got a little bit more consistent of a bat than Miller. Maybe we see the team go out and acquire a catcher who's going to be able to put up better offensive numbers. Maybe that happens, maybe it doesn't. At the end of the day, right now the club is a first-place team. Not just a first-place team, best team in the National League. And that's a good place to be at. And it's nice to be having these kind of discussions about what needs to be fixed when the team is still continuing to be a first-place team. All right, so Tom Kurtz is going to join us in just a few minutes. We'll also be joined later on the program by Garrett Green. But first, let's get to this week's Headlines of the Week.
0: It doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter. There's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt's Headlines of the Week.
1: We made reference to this during our opening segment, but from an injury standpoint, uh, Lorenzo Kane missed Sunday's game Technically with a groin injury, but dude's just beat up right now. He's got a lot of things going on. He's been hit by a ton of pitches over the course of the Cardinals series. He's beat up. It was the groin injury that uh, held him out. But he's uh, he's pretty... Uh, man, the way he plays the game, you're almost shocked that he doesn't get injured more often because he plays the game hard. And then Travis Shaw, he's been dealing with a wrist deal for a while, and he re-aggravated it on Sunday. Manager Craig Council saying after the game on Sunday that both players will be going into Miller Park on Monday for treatment, and they would have more of an idea after that. It doesn't sound like they expect either to go on the disabled list, but you never know. We'll see how they respond to uh, to treatment, and they will go from there. We'll know more on Tuesday. Monday is an off day for the club. Uh, the team sent Domingo Santana to AAA. A guy who was a 30-plus home run guy last year just has not found traction this year was given a fair amount of opportunities over the first couple months of the season, never got going. He just was not playing. Uh, They know what he can do with his bat, or they at least know what they think he can do with his bat, so they get him to AAA to try to get him some offensive confidence. Uh, Brad Miller, who they had recently acquired from Tampa Bay, he comes up, had a nice uh, debut with the Brewers, and his first game was able to drive in a run in his first at-bat. We'll see what happens there. It seems like from... Whether it's so right now, that middle infield group includes Jonathan VR, Orlando Arcia, Eric Sogard, Brad Miller, Hernan Perez. Those are the five guys that can play one or both of the middle infield spots. And it sounds like it's going to be a uh, it's n- not that it's going to be random, but there's going to be some picking and choosing of guys, and there's not going to be a whole lot of consistent play, and they'll go with the hot hand at any given moment. Boone Logan designated for assignment this past week. He had uh, just... Hadn't done what he was signed to do. He was signed to go get left-handers, and he had not done that. He hadn't had a huge sample size, but it got to a point where he just was not being effective. They needed a roster spot for uh, Freddie Peralta, who's currently in the starting uh, five-man rotation. So uh, Boone Logan designated for assignment. Ryan Braun this past week spent some time in Los Angeles. He uh, had to get cryotherapy done on his right thumb. Uh, he ended up not missing any time technically because when he was away from the team, that was the game in Pittsburgh that ended up being postponed by rain. Manager Craig Counsel saying that he believes it was the fifth time that Braun had required the procedure. First time this year. He did it around the All-Star break last year. So if it's something he gets done about once a year or so, uh, that's no big deal. And then finally, uh, the Brewers honored Davey Nelson over the course of the weekend during their series against St. Louis, who uh, passed away in April. If maybe you're outside of the uh, market aren't familiar with Davey, uh, Davey was a coach in the, uh, in the Brewers organization and then on the big league staff, uh, was let go from that position, joined the media, and that's where he's been for, uh, where he was for a while, uh, where he worked as a Fox Sports Wisconsin analyst. He also was a, a regular contributor to our post-game show, Brewers Extra Innings, on uh, WTMJ. And uh, he passed away again on April twenty second. So the Brewers just, man, the Brewers handled this situation as as well as you could. Uh, the team all wore a Nelly Memorial patch uh, on their jersey sleeve during the four game series against the Cardinals. The Fox Sports Wisconsin stage that is in the right field corner of Miller Park, they have uh, renamed that Nelly's Corner, and they've got a just a fantastic plaque. I would encourage you. Next time you're at a Brewers game, go out to the right field corner where Fox Sports Wisconsin does their uh, pre- and post-game shows and uh, check out the plaque. It's almost like a Hall of Fame-style plaque uh, that they put together, and it's, uh, it's incredible. And, and I'll, just, I'll share this story because I thought it was really cool. Uh, there was a, a celebration of life that took place prior to the game on Saturday uh, at Miller Park. And there was probably about 300 people there, I would guess. It was inside one of the kind of the conference areas of, uh, of the ballpark up on the terrace level. And uh, his family was there and friends and media colleagues and everything. A number of people spoke. Craig Sean from Fox Sports Wisconsin was emceeded uh, and, and just did a, a great job. And he was very, very close uh, with Davey. Mark Atanasio, the Brewers owner, spoke at it. And he shared a story. That I just love, and I feel like it's a story as many people should be able to hear. So I'm gonna pass along, and I, I don't tell the story as well as he does. So my apologies for that. Uh, but uh, Davy's final year as a co- as a coach on staff. Uh, it was just it wasn't a great season for the club, and they made some changes on the coaching staff, like always happens. And uh, Mark Atanasio spoke about the fact that when individuals leave his organization, whether it's from a business standpoint or from a baseball standpoint, he likes to conduct exit interviews because he feels like that gives you an idea of maybe how to some things you can do to help your organization. So Davey had just gotten fired, for basically from his big league coaching position has an exit interview with Mark Atanasio. And if you know Davey at all, this won't surprise you. He was as positive as you could possibly be. Loved the moves the organization was making, the direction it was going. Everything was great. And Mark kind of joked that it, it almost felt like it was you know, the, the introductory interview, a guy coming into an organization, not a guy going out. And with that, Mark didn't want to lose that guy from the organization. Thought so well of him after uh, that, after the way things went right there, and he made the recommendation. When you're the owner of the club, you generally these recommendations get listened to. He made the recommendation to uh, Fox Sports Wisconsin that they bring him on as a studio analyst, and I'm certainly glad that they did because if they would not have, I would not have gotten to know Davy a little bit, and uh, it was a it was a blast to, to know Davy, and um, I was uh, when he had passed away in April. I went back to my text messages to see what the last text message he had ever sent me was. And maybe I've shared this story on the podcast. I'm not sure, but I'll share it again just real quickly. Uh, he had There was a day last year where the Brewers suffered a tough loss, if I remember correctly. And we had a caller who was unruly. And I got after him pretty good. <laughs> I'm, I'm known to do that on occasion. But uh, pro- probably even more so than I normally do. Uh, you know not that I was being disrespectful, but I was wanna make sure if you if you're a caller post game show, um try to be respectful, appreciate that you're a listener all that sort of stuff. This person just called and everything they said was wrong, and they kind of did it in a mean spirited way, and I wasn't having it, and I got after' them pretty good went to break commercial break and i was feeling kind of bad about it because i don't like doing that especially and i looked down and there's a message from Davey saying nice job matt you know putting that guy and telling that guy he was very very protective of the brewers organization he was very loyal and uh, that's good stuff so uh thanks to the brewers for doing what they did uh he was very involved in a home open arms home which is a uh, a home in South Africa for orphaned children, uh, from whose parents had passed away due to AIDS, and it's a great organization. Uh, they're keeping the uh, the golf tournament going for, um, for that that raises money for that. That's taking place on Monday. But just if you are somebody who donates money to uh, to charities and organizations and things like that, would certainly encourage you to uh, check out. Openarmshome.com. That's all one word, openarmshome.com. And uh, it just, you know, I, part of Davey Nelson's legacy now is what is going to uh, take place at that, uh, that home that he was very, very involved with. All right, those are this week's headlines of the week.
0: After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now.
1: Brewers x trains the podcast, is powered by WTMJ Mobile as we continue on right now it is time for our social media conversation very happy very happy to uh, welcome in a first-time guest he is a long-time sports media professional in uh, milwaukee recently started uh contributing over at uh reviewing the brew and uh his name is tom kurtz tom it's always uh, great to talk to you welcome onto the program for the first time how are you doing
2: i'm doing great man thanks for uh having me on this is uh great. One of my big passions is the brewers and like you said, I've been starting to vlog over there at Reviewing the Brew, which has been uh, great this summer and not a Better time uh, to talk about Brewers than, than now, although I guess not after two straight losses, but uh, overall for being first place Brewers, uh, it's, been a, it's been a fun summer so far.
1: Yeah, best record in uh, the National League at the end of the game today, so uh, continuing to uh, to be in very good shape. Uh, let's start with uh, a subject of something that you recently wrote about, and that is Jesus Aguilar, and recently he's really emerged – he is truly the starting, everyday first baseman for the Brewers. He had Sunday off because he needed a day off. Correct Council saying before the game, hey, this guy, is a big, he's a big dude. He's got to get some time off. But uh, <laughs> what has been your thought? I mean, just uh, we, we saw him make an impact on the team last year, but then going into spring training this year, you know, there was this feeling that there was not even a guarantee that he was going to make the squad, and here he is putting up all-star caliber numbers at the first base position. It's pretty incredible.
2: It's, it's very incredible. Um, you know, going back to like the article that I wrote a few weeks ago, and even when I did, I was trying to pull a lot of uh, my friends in the business and, and different things just to see if I was kind of going crazy or not, comp- comparing him loosely to David Ortiz. And um, you know, I, I was a little hesitant to write it. I was thinking that for a long time, actually, that uh, there's a lot of similarities, not that uh, he's going to be a 10-time All-Star or maybe a one-time All-Star this year. But, um, yeah, there's a lot of things that I saw in his game that I, I thought of. But just like you, I had a lot of discussions in the sports office about, is he even going to make the team? Is he, should he be just trade him to an American League team? How can they keep him on the roster if they're going to have Ryan Braun play first base? <laughs> you know, all those things. And, I, I mean, I just, I just loved what I saw from him last year in a limited, limited amount of time, and I just thought, you just need that guy in your team some way, somehow. And, uh, I mean, he's outperformed everything that I thought he could do, to be honest with you, even though I've been probably one of his biggest supporters uh, in the limited time that he's been in Milwaukee. But I think the the biggest thing that I like about him is his approach at the plate. And I think that's uh, been kind of uh, written about a little bit here lately, too, is just that he is someone that he gets two strikes on him. And unlike a lot of Brewers up and down the lineup, He's someone that can can produce for you, shorten up, just kind of hit one into right field, serve one up the middle, do something, get the ball, at the bat on the ball, and that's something that, like I said, that they're kind of lacking, and that's obviously goes a little bit beyond what he's been doing with the the power numbers. But I think that is the one thing about him that maybe goes overlooked, maybe by the the national guys that don't get to see him every day, is his plate discipline
1: and his defense. Right, if, if you're asking Keith Olbermann.
2: <laughs> yeah I saw that on Twitter um you know and I didn't even get into that into the in, in the blog that I wrote um but yeah he's been he's been more than passable I mean he's he's got uh, quick feet there at first base he's been a much better first base than he looks and I think that's basically what Keith Oberman saw is just that he's a big guy but I mean a big guy that's got nice hands and quick feet I mean he's more he's He's a very solid first baseman. I mean, he's the best first baseman that they have on the roster right now, and that's not even, I don't even think it's close no. um, as far as defensively.
1: Hey, look, he's not going to win a gold glove over at third, but they're not afraid to put him at third for uh, a few innings here and there, especially maybe in a game that's, that's out of control. And you know, Again, not talking about his third base ability, but just the fact that they're even comfortable putting him there shows how good of an athlete he actually is, especially for the size of man that he is.
2: And he came up as a third baseman. I mean, I know it's been a long time, but yeah, he was basketball there. And I think with Shaw being hurt, and, and, and I don't know too much, but it seems like he might be, you know, out a little bit, you know, in at least a few days, um, that maybe you'd see him over there. I think the first, obviously, you're going to see Hernan Perez or somebody like that. But if you want to get, the, you know, the best lineup in there, I think there might be times where he does play third base a little bit. And especially with Shaw going down, I wouldn't see why that maybe wouldn't happen as soon as uh, this week
1: it's it's kind of funny because and look, things can change. Who knows what we're going to find out? Monday's an off day, but both Travis Shaw and Lorenzo Kane are going to have to come in for treatment. And if either of those guys are going to be out for an extended amount of time, what I'm about to say isn't going to be true anymore. But right now, as it sits, the the daily, every day kind of lineup is is sort of set. With Aguilar is going to be at first, Braun's going to be at left, mm-hmm. Kane's going to be in center, Yelich is going to be in right field. And then when Braun needs a day off, or if Kane gets a rare day off, or if Yelich gets a day off, or if Aguilar gets a first base, you put Eric Thames in either a corner outfield spot or over at first base. For for all the anguish about what everything was going to look like, it's really kind of really you know cut and dry right now how that looks uh, between the outfield and first base.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, and Council said that at the beginning of the year, as long as everybody stays healthy and Kane and, and, and like you said, Kane and uh, are back, I think with, yes, yeah, Santana going down to the minors, it really is pretty cut and dried. You have four guys, or five guys for four positions if you count the three outfield positions in first base. So that's pretty easy to get consistent playing time with just kind of moving it around. You know, Barron can play first base if he wants. He can play in the outfield. They're very, and with James being able to play the outfield, they're very versatile that way. So, um, and getting to Santana, I mean, I think that had to happen. And, you know, I know I've read in a couple places saying that he's just not getting consistent playing time. But I mean, he he's had over 200 at bats. For whatever reason, uh, I'm not I'm not a, a hitting coach, but for whatever reason, he's just he's just not slugging like he was last year. And um, you just can't keep trotting him out there as well as as the guys that we just talked about that uh, you have options to play. And he's just not going to play. And they, I think they gave him they had a pretty long leash for him, but it was it was time to rework that swing. And I think. That's one thing about the offense is we talk about all this depth and it's great, but then the bottom of the order is just not producing, and that's where you see the shutouts and you see extended rallies not happening. So there is for a first place team, and for as many great stories as you can talk about on the team, they they you know, and as as well as their pitching is done, save for today, I think you could say that their record should be even better if you know if they were more consistent if they had consistent play out of their catching position like they did last year, out of shortstop and then out of, out of Santana. So I think, and, and you throw second base in there too, because VR has kind of come down after, uh, you know, he he was solid for a little while, but he's kind of back to regressing to maybe more where he was last year. So it's kind of an interesting dilemma that they have. They have a lot of depth, but they also have some, uh, questions that they're going to have to answer here.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned Domingo Santana, and there seems to be this false narrative out there, and you kind of alluded to it. There's a false narrative out there that he wasn't given an opportunity. He had Mm -hmm. the fourth most played appearances on the team entering the month of June. If that's not an opportunity, I don't know what one is. Now, once they hit June, those opportunities started going away. But this isn't like his numbers started dropping when June hit and he was having a hard time playing. I'm going to repeat that again for people who maybe didn't catch what I just said. Fourth most played appearances on the team entering the month of June. That's obviously a a solid opportunity that he was given.
2: Uh, yeah, he, I mean, he he's had more than enough opportunity. I mean, at, at the end of the day, yeah, I mean, he, he's not, he wasn't just going to be penciled in to be the right fielder for 162 games with what they got in the offseason. I don't know if that got into his head, um, knowing that, that maybe he was pressing a little bit. I mean, but at the end of the day, you just can't make excuses for a first-place team. This is no longer a rebuild. This is no longer even last year where they kind of got, you know, were surprised by everything. I mean, look at the outfield in AAA now. It's, it's, they basically got three guys that played a lot of, had a lot of at bats for the Brewers last year are starting in, starting in Colorado Springs. Uh, I mean, they're going for it this year. So you just can't, you just can't have it anymore where a guy is, I mean, went from 30 homers and now, I mean, he keep, for a time, he was only had a, a handful of extra base hits all season long. I mean, you just can't have that out of that position. It, and like you said i didn't know that he had the fourth mount of bats but i knew he was up there and it's definitely a false narrative and i def- i had the same argument with a couple people that um you know they said it wasn't fair to him and i was like well <laughs> I-, I i just think i'm a fan of domingo i i love what he contributed last year but this is a results oriented business and He's just not getting the job done right
1: now. It's kind of funny. If that Thursday would not have happened where the team goes and gets uh, Lorenzo Cain and Christian Yelich, it would have been very possible that the Brewers could have started in their outfield very many times this year, an outfield alignment of Brett Phillips, Keon Broxton, and Domingo Santana, and all (laughs) of a sudden those three guys are your starting AAA outfielders. That's a, a... I haven't been around baseball forever and I've only been covering the Brewers at the major league level now for three years, but I have a hard time remembering a scenario where a group, uh, an entire outfield group that could have been a starting major league outfield has ended up starting at AAA.
2: I can't remember anything like that. No, uh, it's, it's pretty remarkable. And I mean, all three of those guys could impact the major league team this year still. I mean, I think Santana's the most likely, but you know, you're talking about a playoff team, and when the, rest of the roster expand, Broxton and Phillips both have a tool that can be used in a situation um, when you need a game. Uh, you know, with Brett Phillips' defense and his arm, and then with and Broxton's uh, speed, both of those guys could uh, impact a team as well as Santana. So it's. Uh, you know, I hope that they are, they're not thinking they're out of it yet. Hopefully they have a great attitude about it. I know Brett Phillips did. I'm not sure exactly how Santana's going to take going down, but, um, yeah, all three of those guys. And if someone gets hurt, Kane just got hurt a little bit, I think he's going to be fine. But if anybody goes down, they're, they're, somebody's right back up, most likely Santana, if he can get his swing going.
1: You also wrote a recent piece about the starting rotation and maybe what it needs to look like uh, for them to be a playoff team and have some success in the playoffs. Let me give you my Mm -hmm. quick five-cent view on on the uh, rotation and what kind of moves could be made, and I'll see if you agree, disagree, or what you would tweak. I think think this rotation's pretty good. I don't think going out and just getting – just a starter to just go get a starter would make sense. Most of the guys that are going to be available, I don't think help this team. If a Guard, if a DeGrom, if a healthy Archer, if a J-Hap, if one of those guys becomes available and somehow the cost is not insane, then sure. But I don't want to see David Stearns go make a move for a starting pitcher who wouldn't clearly be the number one guy, who isn't clearly better than anybody they already have. If they just go get another guy to kind of insert in the middle of the rotation I don't think that helps this team and I think you can look at the off season and say Lance Lynn would not be helping this team right now you Darvish wouldn't mm-hmm. be helping this team Andrew Kashner wouldn't be helping helping this team uh, Cobb wouldn't be helping this team the only guy that might help him is Jake Arrieta of all the free agent pitchers from this past off season. so that that's kind of my take agree disagree where do you stand on that? I
2: yeah I pretty much agree um, with everything you just said. Uh, You you mentioned they could if they just get a guy. Well, they have a lot of guys. Again, they have depth. It's um, you know they you're talking about even getting Jimmy Nelson and Zach Davies back to the starting rotation that you have now potentially, and then we're we're not even talking about guys that you know Freddie Peralta's in the rotation now. But you talk about him, you talk about uh, uh, Woodruff who's doing well in AAA as well. So they have a lot of guys. Now, and that's kind of what I wrote about in my blog. I agree. I mean, if you can get a, a number one starter, a true bona fide number one starter, you know, I think that's something that you have to look at depending on the cost, obviously. You know, I just wrote about that you need spots for these guys. There's everybody that the Brewers have now, they're going to have next year unless they trade somebody or somebody gets hurt. So then who is not going to have a spot? Because you're going to want to give Freddie Peralta a spot. You're going to want to give Corbin Burns a shot. I mean, David Stern has been on record as saying that. He doesn't want to block his guys. Because this is how you have to do it in a small-market baseball. Now, the Brewers have a history of getting a C.C. and they both turned out to varying degrees, depending on what you want to say about how who they gave up. They helped. But, I mean, you just have to tread lightly. So, I mean, I think I agree. It's a roundabout way of saying I would take a Jacob to put depending if you're not going to, you know, I love the minor league system, and even when they you know, made the yellow trade. It took me a few minutes to try to just, uh, get over it and go, okay, I like Monte Harrison, but okay, I, I see what they get there. I'm, 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 I'm on board, but giving, getting a number one starter is going to take a lot. And if you're somebody that likes Kestin hero, or if you're somebody that likes Corbin Burns, and I love both of those guys, and I think they're going to help the, the Brewers soon. You really have to be careful on how much you're going to give up because you do have a lot of guys and you don't want to block the guys that you do have in
1: 2019, 2020. And that's, you know, there's some uh, people who are listening to this podcast probably already know what I'm about to say, but I think there's some more general fans out there that don't completely get this. Outside of Freddie Peralta, there's really been nobody on the 25-man roster for the Brewers this year that would probably help you get one of those top-tier pitchers. Everybody that mm-hmm. can can help you with that are minor league prospects. And you mentioned Keston here, and he I I don't it's if if David Stearns finds a way to go get a top-tier number one starter and not give up Keston Hera and not give up both Freddie Peralta and Corbin Burns, then he should win Executive of the Year just for that trade, because that's the kind of talent it takes to be able to go get those kind of guys.
2: Yeah, and I mean, I've read things on Twitter, too. And again, you take Twitter, I wrote a blog about that, take Twitter for, Twitter for granted, um, for what it's worth, for the grain of salt. But I've seen people throw out trades, you know, just out there, hey, trade uh, Brett Phillips, Domingo Santana, and yada yada yada, and not include some of the top guys. And then you can get a picture. It's like that's not how it's going to work. <laughs> just unfortunately, that's not how it's going to work. If you want to get a a bat um, like a Neil Walker or or maybe just a, an aging outfielder, yeah, you don't have to give up a lot. But for a frontline pitcher, and that's what we kind of talked about, is what the Brewers would need to get. I think to make to make it worthwhile is going to take your top prospects. So you're going to have to get wrap your, your head around the fact that if you Fallen in love with some of these prospects that he would uh, be definitely involved in, in in one of those types of trades.
1: Are you concerned about the inconsistent nature of the offense?
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I think you have to be. Um, you know, I think the the, the shutout number it is a little concerning, but it's not something I'm going to hang my hat on. I, I'm more on the just the some day to day. Especially like kind of what I talked about before. Just the fact that they cannot string together because it's almost like they're six through nine is just almost not going to get it done on a daily basis. They're one through five has usually been pretty good. But, um, so yes, I am a little concerned about it. I think, you know, you look at the division and there is some offensive inconsistency throughout the division. So it's not like the Brewers are the only ones that are, are struggling with that. But if you look at the Cubs, for example, um, I think that they're probably going to in the second half, just like they did last year. They're probably going to turn it on a little bit, and they have the money and the wherewithal to add a little bit more easily than the Brewers do. It's more with the money part. So, um, yeah, I think I, I'd be a little concerned with it. Uh, I'm not going to say that's going to be their death knell or anything. I, I, you know, I think Stearns can make some moves, or you know, I think Manny Pena has shown that he can do it. Arcia has shown he can do it, Santana has. Uh, I don't know what it's going to take for those guys to get it back. I think Arcia might uh, end up going following Santana to AAA when Saladino comes back, and maybe both of those guys could use that an extended time down there to get this thing going. But, yes, I am definitely concerned about their offense. That being said, I'm a glass-and-a-half-full guy, and I see that the Brewers are at first place. And I think the difference between this year and last year is that they have more staying power, mostly because of Kane and Yelich. I think that's the big difference from this year to last year, and, and little things, too. I mean, I think their bullpen is, is much better, and they have Josh Hayer, which they really didn't have at this point last year. Um, so, I mean, I think there's a little differences, but I think the main thing is is that, and especially I wrote about this, is you know I think Kane is their MVP, and I think he just does so many little things well that I think the Brewers are going to be in it the whole time and that's one of the big reasons why. And if they can just get some of the six through nine guys going a little bit, uh, I think you're going to see a more consistent offense because uh, you know those guys at the top of the order are going to be consistent most of the year. I think.
1: One of the flaws of this team, and look, there was nothing they could do about it. This isn't like something they could control. But I'm a big believer in until a major league player has a true track record, you can't really count on them for anything. And we're we're seeing that because last year it was a lot of guys having their first really good years. It was it was Travis Shaw's really first you know from start to finish good year. And I I don't Mm -hmm. care about Travis Shaw's batting average to be honest with you. He's driving in runs. I'm fine with what Travis Shaw has done this year. But Manny Pena first real real full year. I mean he had some big league time previously, but last year was his first true real opportunity. So he's fallen back. He didn't have a track record. Orlando Arcia. I still think he's going to be fine but he may never get it together this year it may take him a little while so you know everybody has these expectations Domingo Santana is another guy who falls into the exact same Mm -hmm. category every you've got these expectations about these guys based off one year and we've seen in baseball you can't count on somebody to repeat a year you can't really count on somebody in baseball until they've put in you know multiple years and that's kind of the tough thing right now so you're sitting here going is or say RC going to turn it around? Is Manny Pina going to turn it around? Is Domingo Santana going to turn it around? Well, they did it last year. But to me, that doesn't really mean anything. So I don't, I, I don't know if we can expect any of those guys to really put it together, and that's the challenge for David Stearns because maybe he has to go make a, a move for a stopgap middle infielder who can hit you know, 250, 260. Maybe he has to go make a move for a catcher who can do a little bit more offensively. Maybe those moves do have to be made because those guys don't uh, get it together at any point this year.
2: Yeah, and I think... I think you're going to see a move, at least one of those moves that you just said, and I agree exactly what you said. I mean, we had that discussion at the beginning of the year, um, just going to see, you know, how how you, th- you think the Brewers are going to do year to year. And Manny Pena and Domingo Santana are two names that came up a lot, especially Manny Pena. I mean, he came out of nowhere. I mean, he was a great story. We knew his defense would transfer for year to year, but yeah, you didn't know how he was going to hit. And unfortunately, this is probably more than what. You thought was going to happen, um, if, if you were trying to be honest about it, and, and even Santana. I mean, he, I didn't think he was a thirty home run hitter. I think that was a, um, a bit, lucky, if you want to say, um, going into the year. I, I had that same conversation. I just I didn't think he was a thirty home run guy, and maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. But um, you know, he obviously hasn't looked like that this year. So, <laughs> I think you might have to see a, a trade like that happen. I think getting a middle infielder, there, as we saw with Neil Walker last year and how big of an impact that had, I think that's something that you can get a little easier than a catcher. There's just not a ton of great hitting catchers that would be available. Um, and I haven't run out everything. I know Jonathan Lucroy's name was uh, sort of out there just because everybody's familiar with his, his name and he's not hitting as well as he once did. But I think he would give you a better at-bat game-to-game right now than what you're getting behind the plate with Pena and Kratz. So, yeah, I think I think there's going to be something that's going to be done. It probably won't be a big deal on those on those things uh, in those positions, but I think you're going to probably have to see it unless you know somebody starts to turn it on. And even then, I don't know how. It, it's, it's a little late in the season now. I mean, even if Kenya has a hot stretch or RC has a hot stretch, are you going to say? Are you confident that those guys are going to are, are going to do it the rest of the way and through the playoffs? Uh, I, I can't say that I am.
1: He is Tom Kurtz. Uh, you can read him over at uh, Reviewing the Brew. Longtime sports media guy in Milwaukee. Just started doing the uh, Reviewing the Brew stuff. Are you, I'll put you on the spot again here. Are you working on anything right now? Do you have any uh, thought processes in the back of your mind for what you're going to be uh, next putting together?
2: Yeah, I have a couple things. And I haven't wrote in a little bit. I just took a, uh, a vacation to Las Vegas, so that kind of puts your blogging. You know, I'm just doing it more as a as a thing in the summer, just to do every once in a while, but. Uh, Uh, one thing that, uh, a lot of the guys are going to do is kind of look at the top five, um, all time brewers at each position. So I'm, I'm actually, I'm I'm working on the shortstop position right now. So I'm going to be doing that, um, next. And then I have a couple other things as well. And, and, you know, I might talk about the, uh, we just talked about here, the, uh, the offense a little bit, and especially the bottom of the order. I think that's kind of the next thing I was going to look at as well, but it's, it was a top five of positions of all time. It's kind of a fun thing. And I know a couple of them have already been written, but, uh, I took shortstop just because of Robin Young. He's my favorite uh, player growing up. So, but once you start looking at it and they, they you know, we're just doing it in their Brewer years when you, do, you start looking at it, especially the shortstop. And they, uh, it's not, uh, not a lot of guys that have been there for a long period of time to put up great numbers. I mean, you talk about Gary Sheffield was a brewer and Gene Zagura and all this kind of stuff, but, uh, when they were in Milwaukee, their 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 numbers aren't exactly uh, near Robin. Young. So it's Robin Yount and a bunch of other guys. It's going to be my
1: list. <laughs> we'll be uh, we'll so, be looking out for that. Uh, he is Tom Kurtz. Follow him on Twitter at t kurtz forty three t k u r t z four three. Tom, great to get you on the podcast, and uh, it was great. We'll get you on again here in the relatively near future.
2: All right, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it.
0: The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm.
1: Brewers X-Range, the podcast, is powered by WTMJ Mobile. We're very happy to uh, welcome onto the program once again. He is the broadcaster for the Biloxi Shuckers, the AA affiliate of the Brewers. His name is Garrett Green. Garrett, it's always great to talk to you. How are you doing?
3: It's great starting to to as
1: well and doing very well How about uh, doing all right let's uh, uh very generally first half champions in the division so the team has already uh, clinched a playoff spot I-, I don't know if that was completely expected from this team but uh, obviously a really really strong first half of the year what's what are your general impressions on what the team was able to accomplish in that first half?
3: Well, you know, albeit the four years that the Shuckers have existed, they had made it to the playoffs in 2015 when they were uh, you know, loaded full of, of some pretty good teams to you know, some of whom have made it to Milwaukee. Um, but, but with this club this year, I know that there were a lot of young guys, but uh, they stepped up and, and the biggest impression that I took away from this team is that you can just never count them out in a game. I mean, they had uh, wins on the road where they'd be trailing by Three, four runs late in the game Uh, at home. I mean, if they were within striking distance, you could almost just count on the fact that they were going to find a way to score uh, in the seventh, eighth, ninth inning. Uh, And then the other other thing that obviously uh, is kind of a reflection of of what's going on in Milwaukee right now, the bullpen has just been lights out for this team this year. They've gotten very good starting pitching, but then when you turn it over to the back end, uh, guys like John Olzak, Clinton, Flores, Costa, uh and then obviously Nate Greep at the back end of the bullpen, Nick Ramirez while well, he was still there. I mean those those guys all landed spots on the all star roster, uh, and they have done an excellent job of locking things down and making it to where uh if you needed to stay within a run, they'd keep it right there. Uh and if you were up by a run, they'd keep it right there as well. And Combine that with some, some pretty good offense and timely hitting, and, and this was a, a fun squad to watch in the first
1: half. It was really a special night, the night that uh, the club clinched the first half division. I know it could have been a little bit more special, but uh, Zach Brown gets uh, within one out of a no-hitter. He gives up one hit, uh, pitching a complete game. The team wins 5 nothing. Just talk to me a little bit about about that game and about that night and the experience of going through what turned into a pretty crazy game.
3: I mean, it was it was surreal. We uh, we were having uh, Saints Hall of Fame night there at the ballpark as well. So we had you know, Thomas come up and join us in the booth. Vernon Perry was in the booth. Uh, we're rolling along and the game is just clicking by really fast. There wasn't a lot of scoring done by the Shuckers either. And all of a sudden, uh, I look over at my broadcast partner and say, Zach Brown hasn't allowed a hit. He looks back at me and says, Garrett, Zach Brown hasn't allowed a base runner uh, through six frames. And you could just tell from the moment that he took the mound that he was locked in. He had been uh, really elevating his game through the last several starts. He was frustrated with the way that he had pitched in Jacksonville, missed his spots a little bit, and that night uh, he was locked in, and it was as dominating of a performance as I have ever seen Uh, out of a pitcher came Obviously, the, the one error to lead off the eighth inning where uh, two outfielders are, are right underneath the ball, they bump into each other, that allows the first base runner and then, uh, a looping fly ball into center field that the center fielder takes a step back on what you're supposed to do uh, and maybe waited on his back foot just a second too long, came charging in and just missed it. It was so surreal because of the fact that the game ended, there was the elation of walking down a, a first-half title, the celebration that ensued, but the feeling was just, man, it was just right there for the taking. And, and, and we've had the chance to dissect it and look back on it, and, and even in the conversations, just minutes and hours after the game, saying, look, even though you don't have the no-hitter that's in there, it is still an experience and a night that, that I personally know that I will never forget, and I think uh, is, is a moment for sure, remember for everybody um, who was not only at that game but keeping up with it uh, for a very very long time and and that's just kind of what what Zach has progressed towards and it was just thrilling to watch him perform that night all
1: right so whenever there's a no hitter going on there's always people talking say no hitter don't say no hitter in the broadcast how did you handle that
3: I did not say it and I I realized I probably should have been more informative and I know that that's generally the broadcasting code is that you have to let the audience know Um, But I did everything I could to avoid the phrase perfect game and no hitter um, and and didn't utter it until after uh, it had been given up and that was that was just the way that it was we informed people that uh, there were no hits on the board um, that you know uh, throughout the course of the night zach brown had you know sat down all 18 batters that he faced there were ways to say it without actually uttering the phrase perfect game and no hitter uh and in talking with zach he said look i i knew after five innings that i was working on a perfect game and then even after i lost it he knew that he was working on a no hitter the, the entire night and and it was just just remarkable to see and then uh... in the elision afterwards I have a conversation with him about as well
1: well i'll tell you this because the Brewers were playing a home game while that was going on, and as that game got into the eighth and into the ninth inning, there was a lot of attention on that game inside uh, of the Brewers' press box. Multiple uh, media members either had the game cast up, or the MILB TV uh, PR folks had it. I mean, it was kind of it was kind of cool because uh, the attention there for uh, for a ten minute, fifteen minute period, however long it was uh, at Miller Park inside the press box, was very much on that game. So for Whatever it's worth to you, there's a there's a story that you can know that people were paying attention in Milwaukee.
3: Hey, that, as, as long as the folks in Milwaukee were informed, that's, that's what matters to me. But to know that that was the attention that we were getting that night, uh, it certainly uh, just makes it a little bit more special.
1: All right, so the team's gone off to a, a nice start in the second half uh, of the season already with a 3 and 1 record. Uh, I, I can't believe we've already been talking for about seven minutes, and I haven't asked you about Keston Hira, so I'll ask you about Keston Hira. 364 yeah. average. He's playing a whole lot of second base, obviously. Uh, what, what's your takeaway of Keston Hira through the first 20 games with the Shuckers? You know,
3: everybody. Uh, when you hear number one prospect in the system, normally you say, okay, there's, there's some hype, uh, maybe you know you won't live up to expectations or, or you need to temper expectations. That is just not the case with Keston here. Uh, he does nothing but hit. The statistics do not lie. Uh, he has such quick hands through the zone, makes incredibly good contact with the ball uh and is just it, he just has the hitting gene. Uh, he's already come away with 11 doubles, he doubled in three straight games. Uh he's only not hit safely in one start with the Shuckers so far. Uh so at the plate he is that as advertised. Uh, I understand a lot of people are are wondering about his ability at second base. Uh, he's so good range I think what often gets overlooked with him is how quick he is as well uh, not only his range in the field but also his speed on the bases uh, that's a whole other element that, that I feel like gets overlooked just because of uh, the pure ability that he has with the bat uh, but he's, he's shown the ability to range at second and, and today he made a couple of plays this afternoon in the game that we had here in Chattanooga uh, where they, they weren't perfect he, he didn't glove uh, the ball cleanly But he he did what a second baseman is supposed to do, which is get in front of the ball, knock it down, not panic, and make the right play. Uh, And I think that the more that he gets at second, the more and more comfortable he'll become, and and the more you'll see him progress. Uh, And Again, as far as the bat comes, he is as advertised and believe every single statistic that you see, because it's one of the cases where the box score really does tell the full story.
1: What? What's his uh I don't even know how to even ask this question. I mean, there's so much going on there with him there's there's already people calling for him to be with the big league club which which isn't gonna happen. He's hit at every level uh there's questions about his ability to uh play in the field and whether or not at some point he's gonna need surgery and all when, when you talk to him. Is he confident? Is he worried about the arm? Is he, uh, does he feel like his bat can play at any level? Give me kind of a, the inner workings of Keston Hero from what you've noticed from him.
3: You know, from every interaction that I've had with him, he is just a level-headed, he day by day. He's where he is right now, and he's going to perform to the best of his ability at that level. Every time I talk to him, arm feels good. He feels confident, he fits in with the clubhouse, and he just goes about his business. I, I don't think that there's anything specifically that um, would be playing into the, the noise per se or, or or listening to outside forces. I think that he just shows up and does what he does every day, and uh, if the Brewers decide to send him to AAA, he'll go to AAA. If they follow up to the big league club, he'll go to the big league club, and... If he's gonna, you know, stay in, in Biloxi for the rest of the season, he'll stay here and do what he does. That's that's just kind of the guy that he is. He's he's just one of the guys and, and has a day to day approach.
1: I have not talked to you since April and so we obviously have a lot of time uh between then and now for Corey Ray and uh, you look at Corey Ray's month of May, it was spectacular. 272, seven home runs, 15 RBIs, uh, he had an OPS at 949. I mean, that's, that's kind of what people were expecting out of him. He then takes a bit of a step back in the month of June, and everybody is still waiting for him to become that consistent guy who can really do some things. W- where are we at right now with Corey Ray?
3: You know, I, I think that... And even I have this realization sometimes. I think that people forget that even though he was a three-year guy at Louisville, uh, he's still a very young player. And I feel like just this year is when he really has the right mindset with his approach, uh, and that he understands that he's not going to be successful in every at bat, and he doesn't shy away from from the numbers that he put up last season. And he's going to go through ebbs and flows, and I think that he fully comprehends that as a batter. And it's just going to take seeing pitches and continuing to have at bats to make it to where he is a level player, to where you don't have uh, such high peaks and low valleys, to where it's more level, and then when it pops, it really pops, and you see it when 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 it flashes. It is remarkable to watch the way that he hits the ball the other way, uh, plays that he makes in center field, uh, speed on the bases. When when it is all working in tandem, you see everything about the ability for the guy. And I think that playing at the AA level, spending uh, what I think will be an entire season here, and just continuing to hone in and, and and making sure that he stays with his approach day in and day out is what's going to give him that ability to take the next step and, and be a consistent major league player. Uh, it, but again, time will tell for that one.
1: Looks like Lucas Ersig's bounced back pretty well, had a tough month of May, hitting under 200, better than 260 in June, uh, already has more RBIs in June than he did in all of May. That's a. Sometimes you judge guys based off if they take a step back, being able to kind of bounce back right away, and maybe it's not fair to judge a guy month by month, but is it fair to say that he's kind of come around here after uh, suffering that, uh, that rough month?
3: Yeah, I, I think so, and and mixed in that was the fact that he got hit right square in the batting helmet with a with a 93 mile an hour fastball. Look, I he said that there weren't any ill effects from it, um, and I, I take him for his word. But I don't think that you just bounce straight back from that. But I, I, personally, I would maybe attribute some of his regression to that um, and just finding a rhythm after being you know, knocked down a little bit. Uh, but it, you know even when the numbers weren't bearing it out, uh, Lucas was still making hard contact with the ball, uh, hitting it right at defenders. And, and you can see his approach has brought him back around here. He he hit a ball literally out of ATT field today, uh, over the right field wall, over the right field bleachers out of the stadium, uh, and he's he's pieced it all together. And that's kind of the forgotten name. Like we we had guys like Jake Hager, who was an exceptional player for us, probably our most consistent player throughout the first half. Jake Gatewood has looked great throughout the course of the first half. Uh, you have guys like Troy Stokes Jr., who's up in the 30s in RBI. Corey Ray, who we already talked about. Kind of a forgotten man is Lucas Ursig, who's, who's sitting right there in the five spot. And if he continues to, to play the way that he has in the month of June and, and get better, that just is one more weapon that, that, that Bolsi has and, and the Brewers ultimately have to count on.
1: All right, let's jump over to just a couple pitchers. And the first one, not a prospect, you got a guy, but a guy that uh, people are interested from a big league standpoint, uh, Wade Miley. He is on the 60-day disabled list with the club, so he's still not eligible to come off for a while. But he made a start with uh, Biloxi just a couple days ago, went two innings, giving up a, a run on three hits. I don't know how much time moving forward he'll be at AA and AAA. probably depends on home and road and stuff like that. But all that being said, uh, I know it's a very small sample size at just two but you'd also seen him in April what was your takeaway on uh, Wade Miley and his uh, start the other day
3: you know it, the last time that we had seen him was in Birmingham he threw six innings he struck 11 that was what got him to Milwaukee um, and while it wasn't that specific guy it was closer to that than it was when we first saw him coming back from an injury the first time uh, if that makes sense he, he threw strikes pounded the zone um, went right at hitters and, and really attacked them. Had good command of, of his fastball and his breaking pitches. Didn't take a lot of time in between. Uh, had a really good pickoff move. He's got four pickoffs and four starts with Biloxi. This season, three as a minor leaguer and one on his major league rehab assignment. Uh, so I, I think that he's he's right where you would want him to be. Uh, and he fits in really well with this clubhouse as well. Uh, he's He's just another guy who who gives advice and, and and continues to progress, and I, I have a feeling that we'll see him here a little bit more as he recovers, and, and we'll wait until he's eligible to come off the disabled list.
1: You mentioned the bullpen earlier, and you got the. You got the three bullpen guys who all have ERAs around two seven or, or below. You've got a you got a closer and Nate Greep is in that group, is twenty two of twenty four in save opportunities. Then a couple starters who are who have sub three ERAs. I mean, it just appears from start to finish uh, the Shuckers are gonna get good pitching every single night seemingly. Is that is that generally the way it goes?
3: It is. I mean, the, the expectation at this point is that this team is going to come out, your starter is going to give you at least five, if not six, and then if you hand it off to the bullpen, and they're not going to have a big blow-up inning, and you're going to have a chance to win at least going into today's game. I mean, for for the starters, their ERA was, was right around a, a three nine five. That will have come down today with with five uh, you know innings from Marcos Tejuela making his debut with us, uh, and then the bullpen right at and even three for their ERA. Right? Uh, it it just has been a, a hallmark of of this organization really since since its inception in 2015. It started with Chris Hook uh, and Dave Chavarria has done a great job this season to to keep that mentality and and really all the pitchers just. Pushing each other to be better. Uh, so, no, you don't have a guy in this rotation or on this staff where you kind of roll your eyes and say, oh boy, he's coming into the game. Like, get, get prepared. No, every guy attacks the zone, every guy battles with hitters, uh, and you wholeheartedly expect every guy to go out there and throw at zeros regardless of who it is.
1: It's pretty common for pitchers who are earmarked to be relief pitchers in the major leagues to come up as starters because it gives them the opportunity to work on more pitches and and things like that. And then eventually, whether it's at the big league level or at AAA, eventually they start getting converted to relief pitchers, but very normal for future relievers to come up as starters. Uh, You guys have so many relief pitchers who are putting up good numbers. Do do you feel like these guys are guys that are going to be able to continue to progress and continue to uh, be relievers at a high level?
3: I think so. Um and you know the with, with guys like like Adrian Hauser falls right into that category as a starter who's now a reliever in the big leagues. Uh they understand and it's preached to them that you know you're just one injury, one bad performance away from getting a call up to Milwaukee. The, the jump straight from double to the big leagues is not unexpected at this level, but for for guys like Lightning like Greep and for uh John Olzak as well, uh, and, and even Nick Ramirez, who I was talking about, uh, I, I think that for them it is a mentality, and that's the most important thing. It's not always what a guy's stuff is. It's how he goes out and attacks. And, and John Olzak's a name that, that I personally think folks should keep an eye on, he hates walking batters. He hates giving up free passes. There's nothing that bothers him more than when he walks a guy in an outing. Uh, and and he has shown that, and I think that that mentality is what will serve all of these guys well as they continue to progress along uh, as relievers and having that experience in high-leverage situations to fall back on when they reach the next level and and ultimately when they reach the big leagues.
1: 36 strikeouts, 7 walks. It's close to a 5-to-1 strikeout-to-walk average for our ratio for Olchek. That's pretty good.
3: It is, and that's why he was named the, the relief pitcher of the month for the Southern League in May. He had walked just, you know, leading up to the end of the month, he had walked four guys, just two unintentionally, uh, over the course of, of his first, I think his was 19, start, uh, appearances throughout the season. That's that's just the guy that he is. Uh, and, and you know, he, says, he said to me before, look, if, if I'm down on the count, I'm going to throw a fastball right to a guy. If he hits it over the fence, he hits it over the fence. But more often than not, they're rolling over on him. So I'm going to keep throwing it until they can show me they're going to hit it.
1: Garrett, folks can follow you on Twitter at Garrett Green two R's two T's G A R R E double T underscore Green Green with an E at the end as well. Uh, so and for folks who want to catch the broadcast either uh, through the radio or through uh, through uh, TV, uh, how can folks uh, hear what uh, you guys in, uh, are doing there at Biloxi?
3: Yeah, so uh, when we're at home, if you just go to MILB.tv and scroll down and search for the Shuckers, that option is there. You can go to com and any time that we're on the air, you can click the little listen. It'll pop up a screen that's got all of the teams in minor league baseball, fortunately, since we start with BI. You don't have to scroll very far to find us. You can click there and, and listen on the TuneIn app uh, and, and on TuneIn radio. Uh, the MILB First Pitch app also works like that. Uh, and we're on the air for every game, so uh, home more road. If you want to keep up with with the prospects who who are here with the organization, which I'm going to take a second and this is according to MLB Pipeline, and and just pump up what this team is. We have the number one four or one three four six seven eleven thirteen seventeen eighteen twenty twenty one and twenty three prospects in the Brewers organization on our team right now. Uh, So folks want to hear what's going on with prospects. They can certainly tune into us every night, and there are going to be at least a few who will be out there.
1: Yeah, we didn't have time to get into all of them, but that is—you're right—that is a stacked group of guys, and that's a—it's uh, a fun team to certainly uh, pay attention to. Garrett, I'll, I'll just tell folks uh, we're doing this interview. Uh, it is you're in the Eastern Time Zone. It's actually close to one o'clock in the morning where you're at. So thank you so much for uh, staying up late and finding some time for me and the podcast. Really appreciate it, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again real soon.
3: Hey, any time uh, and any chance that I get to, to talk about this team, not just on, on our airwaves, but to, to let folks know what going what's going on, I'm, I'm more than happy to do it. It's generally late nights anyway, uh, so to just keep talking more Shuckers baseball and, and Brewers baseball. I'm more than happy to do a Call any time, uh, and good luck with the rest of the year.
1: Garrett Green joining us on the program, and we appreciate that as we uh, start to wrap up this edition of Brewers, externance the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Once again, if you don't want to get in contact, you can do so by uh, tweeting at me at Matt Pawley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. You can also uh, email me matt.pawley at wtmj.com. Here's what's coming up for the Brewers over the course of the week. Monday is an off day. They'll then open up a quick two-game series at home against Kansas City on Tuesday and Wednesday. Tuesday is going to be a fun one. Freddie Peralta is going to be making his Miller Park debut. Then Brent Suter is going to pitch on Wednesday. And then they'll head to Cincinnati for a four-game weekend series. Cincinnati. Uh, let's see, so uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Thursday and Friday night. Uh, Saturday late afternoon and Sunday fairly early in the afternoon. And, of course, you can hear all of those games, as always, on WTMJ Radio, on the, of course, the uh, over the course of uh, the Brewers Radio Network. That's going to do it for this week's program. Thanks so much for being tuned in. This was a fun one. I certainly enjoyed it. I want to say thank you to uh, Tom Kurtz for joining us. I want to say thank you to Garrett Green. I want to say thank you to you for listening. We'll talk to you next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile.
0: Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.